Amen. Amen. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, turn with me in the book of John. John chapter 12 and verse 9. We'll just kind of be sticking around. But uh, we're talking about choosing the cross. It's been our month-long series at Sanctuary, choosing the cross. We've talked about stumbling over the cross as believers. We've talked about fearing the cross. We've talked about the failure to understand the cross. And today we're going to talk about the glory that God gives through the cross. And, uh, and hopefully you'll, you'll stick around with me. Uh, how many people, maybe you, um, you've ever, you never, how many people have ever heard a joke you didn't get, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you get it and it's like, I don't know if that's a good joke or not. Or maybe you heard a joke or maybe you've been a part of the room and maybe I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. You, somebody gives a joke and then there's this pause, everybody laughs, and then there's this other person that laughs like 10 seconds later, you know what I'm talking about? That's that awkward moment where you're like, yeah, that was more hilarious because you missed it and then you didn't laugh with everybody else. Uh, you know, sometimes things can, like a joke can be too heavy on the front and then later you kind of, oh yeah, okay, an aha moment. Uh, this may be one of those sermons, okay? It might be like, oh, aha, at the end because uh, I look in Scripture and in John chapter 12, Scripture says that people saw and heard Jesus and that repeatedly Jesus told his disciples, I am going to die on the cross. And then they feared it and they stumbled over it and they failed to understand it. And yet he made it more and more plain over and over again, even unto the point that we are in the text today. And the Bible says in John chapter 12, verse 16, that even the disciples heard and saw all this prophecy being fulfilled, but they did not understand it until Jesus was glorified. Turn to your neighbor and say, glorified. That is the word of the day. They did not understand what was going on until Jesus was glorified. And I hope by the, if you just stick with me, I hope by the end of this sermon, you're going to get it and God's just going to uh, open up and put a, just this power punch thing into your spirit. Uh, because we're talking about the glory of God through the cross. And on that day, as Jesus began to come into Jerusalem, many people were looking for this Jesus that they wanted and they were missing the Jesus that they needed. And when the weight of his words got too spiritual and too heavy, instead of digging in and holding on and thinking about it and asking God for revelation, they begin to reject him and turn from him. And today, let's do this. Let's hold on to this word and let's dig in and say, God, give me revelation. Because this doesn't come from Pastor Heath. It doesn't come from a written sermon. It's got to come by the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can really reveal the Word of God to you. And it's not a good communicator, uh, which I'm not as, as good as I want to be. Uh, it's not about the, the, the emotion of the song service or whatever. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth of God's Word to you. And so they turned on Him and rejected Him because they lacked the glory of God. And it wasn't until they experienced the glory of Christ for themselves later that they understood. So what is glory? Do we see the glory of Jesus? Do others see the glory of God in us? Those are things we're talking about today. And I'll just sum it up like this, give it to you at the beginning, that Jesus is the image of God's glory. Somebody say amen. He's the image of God's glory, and he glorified his Father through death. And God, the God of glory, raised his Son up in glory so that he can give you the spirit of glory to dwell within you. That's a lot of glory, isn't it? But Jesus, the Son of glory, led to death to die to his, 
for his father in glory was raised up to new life by the glorious power of God so that they could send you the Holy Spirit, which is called the Spirit of glory, that glory might dwell in you. So we're going to figure out what glory is today because that sounds like that's pretty important to know, right? Okay, let me talk to you about John chapter 12, verse 9. Let's turn there for a second. I'm going to talk to you about Lazarus's glory. Okay, so Jesus has predicted he is going to die. And he is heading towards Jerusalem, and he said it multiple times. And he gets to a place, and someone comes and tells him, Hey, your dear friend, the brother of Mary and Martha, Lazarus, uh, he has died. And Lazarus has died, and you need to, uh, or sorry, he's sick, and he's about to die, and you need to come to him. And so Jesus waits for a few days, and we find out that Lazarus dies. And Jesus shows up, and you know the story that Jesus weeps. Uh, and, he, and he comes uh, to, as he's getting to that place, uh, he tells his disciples, he says, this sickness, because he's nearing death, this sickness is not to end in death, but it's for the glory of God. Note that right there. So that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Lazarus is about to die. Jesus knows he's about to die. And he says, it's not going to be ending in death. It's for the glory of God that I, the Son of God, might be glorified in it. And then we find Lazarus dies. So Jesus shows up at the place where he had died into the tomb. And he tells Mary, he says, Mary, don't you know I'm the resurrection and the life to Mary and Martha? And he encourages Mary and Martha, his sisters. He says, if you would believe, you're going to do something. You're going to see the glory of God, John eleven forty. What did they see? He said, hey, this sickness is not going to end in death. It's going to end in the glory of God, and the Son of God is going to get glorified. And if you would just believe, Mary and Martha, if you would just believe, you're going to see the glory of God demonstrated. And what did they see? They saw Lazarus resurrected by the glory of God. A dead man went from something dead and stinky and foul and in darkness, came out of that tomb, was unbound into the newness of life only by the power of the glory of God. No other person on earth could have ever done or did what Jesus did. And it was the glorious presence and power of God that resurrected Lazarus. Everybody say glory. Man, that's, that's a testimony right there. So let's fast forward. John chapter 12, verse 9. Jesus goes to Lazarus' house. He's, Lazarus lives like on the other side of the hill from Jerusalem in a town called Bethany, uh, just over the cross of the Mount of Olives. So he's like, like two hills over from Jerusalem. And so he goes there, and people, man, let me tell you, when people see a dead man rise again, you think the town kind of talks a little bit, right? They didn't have CNN or news or anything, but the word began to spread like it does in small towns, right? And so the crowds began to draw. John chapter 12, verse 9, the large crowd of Jews then learned that he, Jesus, was there, and they came, get this though, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see who? Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. Let me tell you, if you found out that next door was a guy who had once been dead a few days ago, how many people would go see him? Right, curiosity, right? I mean, just plain and simple. The dude was dead, now he's alive. There's something different here. Lazarus is this walking miracle. Jesus had done this awesome thing in his life, and now people begin to draw near. Now look, go further, John 12, 16. 
Jesus leaves this private ministry now. So there's crowds erupting. Uh, Jesus had been quiet in the ministry for a while because the Jews wanted to kill him. So finally now he's like, okay, enough's enough. The sun's about to be glorified. Gets on the donkey, heads into Jerusalem across the Mount of Olives. And man, the crowd erupts. And it is just like... It's time the guy has been in hiding. He do, just raised this dude from the dead. And he's not, not only that, he's done all these awesome miracles. So they put out the prom branches. They begin to sing Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they prophesy about uh, Zechariah and him riding on a donkey. And this is the Messiah. This is the dude. This is the guy we've been waiting for. And they were waiting for this king to come and push out Rome's control over Israel and establish his eternal, glorious, lifelong, eternal reign that he would be immortal. He would reign forever and there would be uh, no end to his kingdom. And Jesus comes in. John chapter 12, verse 16. Look at this. These things his disciples, though, did not understand at first. Think about that. But when Jesus was glorified, there's that word again, Then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also, the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. Can you imagine? Here's this crowd of gathering palm branches like we see on our floor in our stage right now palm branches scattered everywhere people shouting singing worshiping hosanna and it says the disciples did not understand all of this until they saw the glory which would happen a little later and that the people though began to notice not about who jesus was but they began to notice that something had been done in lazarus that the glory of God had touched this man, they did recognize at least that much, and they began to tell people about it. There's something about a resurrected life that attracts people, right? There's something about when someone goes from death and their sin, that they were lost in drugs and alcohol or pornography or addiction or adultery or pride or arrogance or gossip, and we were lost in the depravity of our sin, bound up, in darkness, in a tomb, headed to death, where no one could, we could never change this. We go to counseling, we can go to all the self-help stuff we can do, we can go to church, we can do everything we can possible ourselves to fix ourselves, but nothing happens. But then when a person is changed, and you come up and say, man, what's going on with that person? Why are they so happy all the time? How are they got victory over that? Why are they so joyful? Why are they so victorious? People began to take notice. Because you can't, uh, nothing else can replace the glory of God in a resurrected life. People are drawn to a resurrected person. Who did this to them? Tell me your story. How come you're not drinking anymore? How come you're not cussing anymore? How come you're not partying anymore? How come you're not like you used to be? Why are you so happy all the time? The greatest miracle Jesus can do in your life is resurrected. Amen? The greatest miracle, that wasn't very good. The greatest miracle Jesus can do in your life is give you new life. That's, that's something attractive. You know, there's so many dead Christians in the world, but we're not supposed to be dead. We are the most attractive thing because Jesus Christ, if it actually is true that Jesus has raised you up, how come you're not living? How come you're not excited? How come we're not victorious? How come we're not happy? 
And as people uh, see that in us, are they drawn to us? Because not because of us, because I didn't do this thing, but Jesus, the glory of God has done it in me. We need some more attractive Christians. I'm not talking about putting better makeup on or getting better clothes. I'm talking about people that they have the, they're just oozing the life of God because they realize they were totally dead. Maybe we haven't died yet. Maybe that's the problem. We haven't totally died, but then there's this resurrection. Look at Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in a newness of life. Are you a walking miracle today? And do you, like Lazarus, have a reputation that draws people to Jesus? You know what? People in this world may not understand proper doctrine. You may go to your workplace or your environment or your family. They may not get it all. They may not understand, okay, this is Jesus. What does a donkey mean? Why in the world did you guys act like crazy people and wave palm branches in church that day? They may not get all of that. But what they do get is you. They see something is different. Something is living. I'm dead on the inside that my marriage is falling apart or my, my mind is out of whack and I'm, I'm struggling with depression or I'm, I'm struggling with this attitude issue or my kids are rebelling or my life is falling apart. I don't feel happy. I don't feel complete. But yet I see something in you that you feel like you, you, you look like you got all the answers and, and you, we know that we don't. But we can say there's something alive in me that was not there before Jesus came into my heart. Amen. And so that's what the world is looking for. And and we're not out there on the street preaching proper theology and and the complete doctrine of of Christianity. And and yeah, we're going to get to that. We get to those things. But initially, look at these people. They did not get who Jesus was, but they got that he was powerful enough to do something and Lazarus, church, we've got to be demonstrating the power of God through our lives. The glory of God should be evident on who we are, that God would raise us up to new life. What's your story today? So that's Lazarus' glory, and that's what God is desiring to do in you. Let's talk about Jesus for a second, though. So they didn't get it. They didn't get Jesus. They didn't understand what was going on. And Jesus enters Jerusalem. It was nothing like they expected of this Roman emperor. It lacked all the pomp and circumstance. It lacked all the glory of man and his kingdom. He's coming humble. He's coming peaceful. And, and while they're all worshiping, this guy's crying. Of all things, the guy is crying as he's entering and people are praising him. He's crying uh, and he's weeping because they did not understand the hour of their visitation. And here again, the disciples still watching this all go on did not comprehend until they saw him glorified. So Lazarus is raised from the dead and people are stirring. You know, and that going to that is that sometimes while we see that the glory of God is on us and people don't understand Jesus and they can come and, and say, hey, what's going on in your life? There's another type of people that can come like the disciples and they can come to church all the time. They can see Lazarus raised from the dead. They can hear all the testimonies of Celebrate Recovery people or Teen Challenge people. They can hear the testimonies of the pastor. They can hear the Word of God preached week after week like the disciples heard him just plainly lay out the cross. And like the disciples, they don't understand until it becomes personal in their life. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe there's just no spark in your Christianity. Maybe you've seen all the Lazaruses and it's just like, eh, yeah, 
that's good. I'm glad I'm here. Hosanna. Wave my little branch. You know, happy, happy, happy. Jesus, can I go home now? I'm ready to eat some TV dinners. I mean, there are people in the world in Christianity like that. That's like, well, why in the world are you here? Are you not excited? Are you not joyful? Are you not victorious? And the disciples are like, this is a pretty cool thing we're doing right here. This is pretty nice. I hope this works out well. I hope, I hope he does what I think he's supposed to do. I hope that this church does what I like it to do. Woo. I hope this preacher preaches like I like him to preach. I hope this band sings like I like them to sing. I hope this kids program at this church does what I want them to do for my kid and not what I'm really supposed to do for my kid, but they're going to do it for me. I, I wish that all this Christianity stuff would make my life better. Got quiet in here. Because that's where the disciples were. It was all about them and their perspective. And they failed to totally miss the visitation of what was happening. Look in John 12, 20. So we've got the Lazarus Christian. He's drawing people to Jesus. And you've got the disciples in that type of Christianity. And they're failing to understand despite seeing it and, understand, and hearing the doctrine of it all. In John 12, 20, Jesus, in the middle of all this, and this is, he's just come to the, uh, Jerusalem. He's gone back out. And he tells his disciples, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. But anyone who serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there must my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And now my soul has become troubled. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Here's the verse. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven and said, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. There's a lot of glory going on in these passages. A lot of glory, a lot of this word glory. So what is glory? Jesus says, I'm about to be glorified. Father, would you glorify your name? And God says, Son, I've already glorified it, but I'm going to glorify it again. What's going on? What's glory? Well, if you look uh, in, in Scripture and even outside of Scripture, the word glory often means what we think of as praise, like uh, honor, uh, you know, glory, glory, glory. You know, we, hallelujah, we praise or glorify God. It means to praise, to give honor, uh, homage to something. We talk about uh, the glory of that team when they won that game, that, that honor, that prestige, that, uh, that power, I guess you'd say. But really, the word in Hebrew means weight. It means the weighted importance of something. So when I say I glorify God, what I'm doing is I'm putting his weight, his importance above whatever's going on in my life. So, hey, when I say, church, let's glorify God, that means let's exalt his importance. Let's lift up the weight of God, the value of God. But it goes even further than that in Scripture. So I can say to you, hey, let's glorify God. Let's lift up his importance, his weight. But when God begins to glorify himself, the Bible would say that the uh, glory of God dwelt on the mountain or the glory of God dwelt in the tabernacle. What does that mean? It means the tangible, the visible, the fiery presence of God descended in that place. Oftentimes when it talks about the glory of God coming down, that's the fire. That's that tangible presence when Moses beheld the glory of God his face was changed and turned white and his hair turned white right or when uh, Elijah prayed and the fire came down from heaven the glory of God fell from heaven or in the fiery bush all of that is when God begins to glorify himself 
He says, my weight, my importance, my most valuable presence is coming in tangible form. And we call that something uh, in Scripture. Uh, uh, actually, the Jews call it something. They call it the Shekinah glory. How many people have heard that term before? The Shekinah glory is literally this. It is the tangible, visible, powerful, manifest presence of God that desires to be with men. It desires to dwell with men. God dwelt on the mountain. God dwelt in the burning bush. God dwelt in the tabernacle. God dwelt among his people. And so it is the dwelling presence of God. That's the Shekinah glory. All right? Are you with me this morning? Somebody say amen. Okay. So in a deeper way than just the weight of God, it is the presence of God in full. Glory is the presence of God in full. And so when it is his full person, it is his full power, it is his full presence among us. That's glory. The glory of God is his full person, his full power, his full presence that desires to dwell among us. Amen. Now, what does John 1.14 says? That the word of God becomes flesh. Jesus Christ comes to earth and it says that he dwelt... He dwelt among us, and guess what did we have? We have seen His glory. Think about that. The glory of God, I told you you got to follow with me this morning. The glory of God is the visible, powerful, personal presence of God that desires to dwell with us. And the Bible says that God took that Shekinah glory, and He put it from the Word of God, He made it into flesh, and He said, Jesus, go in, dwell in the earth. And so Jesus, Hebrews says, becomes the visible radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. So what does that mean? Jesus is the perfect demonstration of the Shekinah glory of God. Amen. Jesus is the one who said, I want to show you how glorious my God is. I am the perfect illustration of the weight, the importance, the value, the personal relationship of God. The power of God is all battled up into Jesus. And so when Jesus comes on the earth, he performs miracles in glory like Lazarus. He raises Lazarus up with the glory of God. The Bible says on a mountaintop, Jesus was transfigured in glory, and the disciples even had saw his glory visibly upon him. And here's the paradox. Jesus has come in glory. He's done miracles in glory. He's been transformed into glory. But Jesus was going to die in glory. And that's the thing they couldn't understand. But this, wait a minute, this Messiah... He's supposed to come. He's supposed to live forever. He's supposed to create this kingdom. He's supposed to give us victory over our sins. He's supposed to fix my marriage. He's supposed to, you know, fix my kids. He's supposed to fix my finances. He's, he's supposed to fix all this that's wrong inside of me. And he's supposed to give me prosperity and peace. And I'm supposed to sleep well at night. And we're supposed to be raised up in heavenly places with him and delivered from all the oppression of man and his kingdom and all the evil of this world. But he's supposed to die. He says, Jesus says, the hour has come. John 20, 12, or John 12, 20. The hour had come for him to be glorified. But Jesus, aren't you, aren't you glory? Aren't you the indwelling of God's glory? And Judas takes those, that, that thought is in his mind to betray Jesus. They are in the upper room. And Jesus gives him the morsel. And Jesus leaves to go betray Jesus. 
And immediately, look what he says in John 13, 31. He says, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. And if God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him and Himself, and will glorify Him immediately. Wow, that's a lot of glories. What's he saying? It took me a while. I've just been praying over that one verse right there. That Jesus, His whole purpose was glory. His whole purpose was to be the dwelling of God's glory so you could see, so you could understand, so you could know, so you could experience it. And he says, I'm showing you something still. I'm showing you I can raise people to new life in glory. I can transform them in glory. But I also am leading you to a place where glory comes at death. Glory comes as Jesus begins to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus, the full glory of God, he couldn't, uh, he wanted to uh, lead his disciples into a revelation. And what he was saying is saying, guys, God cannot glorify your flesh. God is spirit and flesh. We're dead. We're, we're dead. We're, we're dead in our sin and, and it's evil and it's ugly. And there's nothing that can change this carnal nature. And this nature is, is unusable by God. It is imperfect. And every time God tries to use it, every time you try harder and say, God, I'm going to read my Bible more. Yes, guess what? You get tired. You get sleepy. You get hungry. You get, every time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better, God, I'm going to try harder. What happens? You do good for a little while and then you fail. That's how many people live their Christian life that way. They, they try harder in the flesh. And it's saying, God, I want to do better. I want to be better. And he's saying, you can't. I can't use your flesh. I can't use any of that. And look what my son is trying to tell you. He's saying, Father, I want to be glorified. I want to give you glory. I want to show the world what your glorious presence can do when it embodies into someone. But I've got to show them one thing. I've got to show them how to die. And so Jesus the full glory of God had to suffer and die so he could receive the fullness of God's glory. And he's just as he said in that verse in John 12, 20, he says that he would become that seed that would die, but his death would produce fruitful, abundant life. Just like Lazarus. Lazarus, who was dead and began to draw all men unto Jesus. Jesus says he's going to die. And through that, he is going to draw all men unto himself. And there's going to be this testimony that happens through this process of death. And Jesus, the Bible says, not only would he die in glory, but he looked ahead. He saw something in the future because he knew that death wasn't all that there was for him. But he said he would be resurrected in glory. He says, if I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw men all to myself. And Romans 6, 4 says, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father. All of that to say this, what is he trying to say to you? And Lord, give us spiritual revelation. Give us spiritual insight right now. Because Jesus lived to glorify his Father. And the Father loved to glorify his Son. Think of that. That's the relationship. But yet all of this was done for one reason alone. God wanted to glorify you. Think about it. Jesus, the glory of God, comes to earth to show you his presence wants to be with you. And he says, I can lift you up. I can transform your nature. I can do all things if you just believe in me, if you understand, if you'd see and get it like these disciples who didn't. But he says, but why you're not understanding is 
The reason you're not understanding is you don't understand that glory only comes through death of self. God cannot use your nature. God cannot use your fleshly appetites. God cannot use your change, your passions, or your lust. All those things die. And Jim Cimbala says it repeatedly in his sermons that the Bible never says lay down your sin. The Bible only says lay down yourself. And so many times we try to say, God, I want more of your Holy Spirit. God, I want your power. Jesus, I want you to uh, do this in my life. Jesus, I need this change in my life. And that's just like the disciples saying, Hosanna, yeah, Jesus, be the Jesus we want you to be. Yet we don't understand, he's saying, but yet you've got to follow me into death if you want my glory. I want to give you the glory of God so bad. Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your son. Lord, let the world would see the indwelling, powerful, manifest, personal presence of great value. That, that thing that is most enormous in this world, the spirit of God. Let they would see it. They would grab hold of it. They would make it tangible in their life. That's the Lord's will. But he says, but you don't get it because you don't want to follow me to the cross. Because glory comes to the cross. Glory comes through the cross. You can see it in Scripture, like the disciples did. You can see it in others, like some did with Lazarus. But today you will never understand the glory of God until you behold it for yourself at the cross. Would we understand today that Jesus, the Son of God, was glorified because he was crucified for you and me. Jesus was glorified because he was crucified for you and for me. So now then, what value, what glory do you place on the cross of Jesus Christ? What weight, what importance do you place when you say, God, the Son of glory wanted me to know him and the Father so much that he was willing to die that I might know him? That I might behold him. And the only reason you're going to get that today is because the Holy Spirit's revealing it to you right now. Because I can't explain it any better. And it really comes through the Holy Spirit, just like the disciples. It only comes when the Holy Spirit gives you revelation and saying, God, you love me that much. God, the glory of God was compacted into this man, this fleshly body, and he, he was willing to take on this wicked evil flesh that we have that is dead that can be not used it's corrupted yet he put it on and then he had to walk among me and he had to be with me and he was trying to tell me something he was trying to show me something he was doing it in Lazarus he was trying to explain it as best as he could to the disciples but yet God we often don't ever get it because we're saying God use this use this flesh God help me to be better help me to do better Lord do something in me and 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 then part of that is true but yet God is saying but you don't understand. It's at the place if you just follow the example my son gave you. I can't fix that sin. That, that sin is evil. It's corrupted. It's without God. That flesh is no good. But if you lay down yourself, I'm going to raise you up into new life like I did Lazarus. You've got to be completely dead. I'm going to take those attitudes, those desires. I'm going to transform them into new life. I'm going to remake them. There's going to be new things there. Not something, I'm not remolding dead things and zapping it like Frankenstein and hoping to get some life out of this dead body. No, God makes all things new. It's completely new. That Heath Harris is gone. Paul said, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That Paul died. 
daily. He's saying, God's not using Paul anymore. It's just Jesus Christ being moved through me. And that's the glory of God. That's the glory. That's the resurrection power, that new life. So our glory. Let me give you three things to take home today is this. Our glory. Number one, you must realize you have no glory. That means you have no value without Jesus Christ. Glory is the weight, the value. And it only, the only thing that's valuable in this world is Jesus Christ. There's no value in the flesh. The Bible says you were made in the image of God, but we fell short of his what? Glorious standard. Not that word. It's everywhere in Scripture that you fell short of his glory. You fell short of it because God loved you. He sent his son in the flesh to suffer and die, to be glorified on a cross, that you might be glorified with him. That's the gospel news, the good news. Number one, you have no glory. The flesh, the self has no glory without Christ. Number two is this. You must realize the glory of God is given to those who suffer and die with Christ. The flesh can't be glorified. The Bible says we've got to be crucified with Christ and allow His glorious Spirit to resurrect us as new creations. And that means surrendering self. The Bible says in Acts that, hey, if we would repent, we would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we, if we totally died as self, God would come in and fill us and baptize us and use us and make us into the people He's called us to be. It all comes with death of self. It all comes with uh, the persecution of flesh and self. And the Bible even says so far that even if you accept this call, you accept this challenge, and that you'd be denied and you'd be rebuked and you'd be persecuted, the Bible says in uh, 1 Peter 4 that the glorious Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will even come more upon you, that it will rest upon you, the glory of God. The more you deny self, the more of His glory He's going to give you. And lastly is this, number three. You must realize, church, you are not saved for heaven. You are saved for his glory. Those people wanted him to go through that gate and take on that place and make a city for them. But they didn't realize that it was not the way they thought it would be. We're not saved to get to heaven and get out of hell. You are saved to glorify God. You are saved to be in His presence. You are saved to be used by Him. You are saved because He loves you. You're not saved just to get out of hell and get into heaven. You are saved for the glory of God. That means you are made for the glory of God. Jesus prayed in John 17, God, the glory which you've given me, I give to them that they'd be one as we are one. That God, want, can you just think about that, church, just for a minute. Just let your minds open up to what He's saying because it takes uh, a depth. Uh, it's it, there's, there's a difference between fact, which is just, hey, this is a fact that this piano is made out of wood. That's fact. And yeah, I get it. You said it once. I understand it. Okay, it's made out of wood. But truth, truth can be deeper. I, I, there's levels and layers of truth that I am always understanding that, God, there's bigger, deeper things in Scripture. It's not just a bunch of facts, but it's truth. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, he's, guys, I am giving you the glory of God. Can you even imagine that? The magnified, the magnificent, the majestic, the personal, the powerful, the tangible presence of God. He says that glorious majesty that was fire and earthquake and lightning strikes and angels are singing about it and heaven is shaking for it and the earth is trembling for it. He says, guess what? It's yours. It's yours. Think about that. We walk around like we're just so defeated. And, oh, woe is me. The world is crumbling. And, and everybody on Fox News versus CNN. And, uh, you have the glory of God. Yeah. 
Come on. Heaven. Angels don't have what you have. Jesus says, the glory which I have, I'm giving to you. So you're made for the glory. Your motives must be for the glory. Spurgeon said it this way. He says, if you're not acting as you ought to, uh, you are not acting as you ought to do when you are moved by any other motive than the one motive of the Lord's glory. The whole reason for the Christian life is to give God more glory. The whole reason you give in the offering is to give God more glory. The whole reason you serve on any team in this church is to give God more glory. The whole reason you preach the gospel to anybody else is not just that they don't go to hell, but it's so that you will give more glory to God, more value, more appreciation for what He did for you on the cross by sending His Son. The only motivation of the Christian life is not to have a better marriage, is not to have a better finances, is not to have better children, it's not to be better in yourself, it's not to be a better person. It is for the glory of God. Amen. That is the only motivation for the Christian life. It is worshiping the King who died for you. Amen. And if you're in it for any other reason, it's self. You're not here to get a show. You're not here to be pumped up. You're not here to be a better person. You're here for the glory of God. Amen. Lord, help us that our only desire in this world is to give you more glory. Just like Jesus Christ. Lord, let me die more that your spirit might be glorified. Lord, let me die more that I might be like Jesus and give you more glory. And the Bible says we'll be molded by that glory. Paul says it looks like an unveiled face we beheld the glory of God. And we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. What does that mean? That means at a moment when you get saved, the Holy Spirit awakens you, I believe, to seeing who He really is. Jesus Christ only comes by the Spirit. But you know, just like I said, this, this, is, this piano is wood. That's a one-time thing. If I said that a bunch of times, you'd probably get tired of it. The piano's wood, the piano's wood, the piano's wood. You're like, okay, I got it, I got it. But that's not the same way with Jesus. If I keep telling you the same thing, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, that's not just a fact. That's a truth. And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're like, oh my gosh, he loves me. Oh my gosh, he loves me. Peter, do you love me? Oh yes, Lord, I know you love me. Yeah, but I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Isn't that true, wives and husbands? The I love you, you're saying at 50 years of marriage is different and deeper than the love you when you had your first year of marriage? Because it's, it's, it's the same, I love you, but it's deeper. And Jesus is saying, guess what, church? I'm giving you the glory, but you're going to get transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. And the more of the Holy Spirit you want, you can have it, you can have it, you can have it. That's what he's saying. I'm transforming you. I'm giving you. I'm filling you. I'm refilling. That's why we talk about spirit baptism. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continuation. God, give me more of your spirit as I die to self. And here's the good news. All of that, God is so awesome. He's so good. He says, guess what? Not only did I die for you in glory and I'm raising you to new life in glory, he says, I'm going to come back for you in glory. And Romans 8.11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, let me get this on the screen. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, what is the dwelling spirit of God? The Shekinah glory. If the Shekinah glory of God is packaged up inside of you, which I don't understand how that's even possible, but if it's packaged up inside of you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the glory of God, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who is dwelling in you. That means your whole life is filled to overflowing with the indwelling Shekinah glory of God. We ought to act like it. 
We ought to exude it. We ought to celebrate it. And we ought to have confidence in it. Just like, God, I'm trusting you. If I die to this, if I give up control about where my job is going to be, God, if I give up control about how to respond to my spouse, God, if I give my kids into you, Lord, if I trust you with this and I trust you with that, Lord, I know you are going to get glory out of me. Father, you're going to take care of it. And John Piper says it this way, and I close. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've only nibbled so long at the table of this world and your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no longer room for the great. If you're not excited about the glory of God, you've never tasted it. You don't got it. You've only nibbled a little bit at the fleshly stuff and said, God, I asked you to help me, but you didn't. Lord, I tried harder and I failed. Where were you at? He said, I don't use your flesh. I want glory. And the only way I can glorify myself and my son through you is for you to die with Jesus on the cross. And then you'll behold something you've never even imagined. It's going to be amazing. Your life is going to be floating on cloud nine because my Holy Spirit's going to be doing it through you and not you. God wants you to see the glory of the cross go deeper. How many people are saying, Lord, help me to understand today? Help me to understand today. I'm not looking for, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm not looking just for a Jesus on a white horse to conquer this country. That's going to happen. I'm not looking today just for a Jesus to fix my problems or change my circumstances or relieve me of my conditions. I'm not even desiring, even today, say, uh, I want more Holy Spirit gifts and power. I want to speak in tongues more. I want to see miracles, signs, wonders. All that's will come. And I'm not even praying today, Lord, I want victory in that. I'm just saying, God, I want your glory. Lord, be glorified in me. Be glorified in me. I want to follow him into glory by taking up our cross. You want to have victory today? Your flesh must be defeated. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You want to have victory today? Let your flesh be defeated. Let it die with Christ so he can raise you to new life. God is desiring today that you would experience his glory, but he can't be glorified in your flesh. But he wants his indwelling, manifest, personal, powerful presence to come into your life as you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. The victory you need is on the other side of the cross. The power you need is on the other side of the cross. The personalities you need in your marriages are on the other side of the cross. The healing you need is on the other side of the cross. It is because Jesus desires you know His glory that He died for you. The glorious Son of God was glorified in death that you might receive the Shekinah glory, the indwelling of His presence. Holy Spirit, we're asking you in this place today, God, bring revelation like only you can do. Lord, I can only lead them, Lord, to the Word of God and explain it as the best as I can. But Father God, you've got to bring revelation. God, if there's things in our lives, Lord, that we have been trying to fix ourselves, we've been asking you to bless our, our self. We've been asking you to bless our efforts. We've been asking you to bless our works. But yet we're failing, repeatedly failing to get victory, failing to have happiness, failing to have peace and joy. Lord, help us to see, Lord, that your glory comes not through the flesh, but, Lord, through the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. 
Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, speak in this moment, God. What do you want to do? Who are you speaking to, oh God? Holy Spirit, have your way, Lord God. Let's just begin to pray all across this room. Let's just begin to lift up the name of Jesus.